That made me happy just to, like, imagine that. See, okay, the problem here, though, is when it rains, the soil is clay. This is, like, uh, where we are, like, thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. It used to be, like, a lake. Well, you know what isn't gonna... Wow, my voice. <coughs> you know what isn't going to cause a flash flood is the... Oh, geez, I didn't actually look at the document. Uh, episode 42 of the Halcyon Frequency podcast, airing live November 6th, 2022. I'm blind and I'm hosting, and I'm, I'm joined by uh, Sui. You've already heard her Hi. voice. How are you today? I'm doing good. And we're also joined by the man of the north, Bellinair. Hey, hey. How are you? It's been an interesting day today. <laughs> it's going to yeah, no keep being interesting, I think, for a little while. I think it's going to be an interesting weekend, yeah. but uh, it's been an interesting week for a lot of people. I mean, like, Dwarf Fortress got a release date, so the entire world can now celebrate. Mm-hmm. I'm really, uh, really peace can come at last. People are announcing and hot, hot potatoes. potatoes happening. Yeah, people are announcing their slots right now, so make sure you're watching your favorite streamer's Twitter, because they might post a video soon announcing it, or they might have already. That, or if you don't follow any streamers on Twitter, just look at the Halcyon Frequency Twitter account, because we're retweeting all the tweets. Yeah. So, things are popping up. Things are happening. And uh, it's it's going to be fun. But, um, Belinair, you sound a lot more clear today uh, because you, you got a care package in the mail. Do you, you want to talk a little bit about that? Was uh, sending some uh, start, they call it starter package, I guess, uh, um, through a Nordic PR manager, uh, management company. And uh, they were nice enough to consider me as well. And then they decided to send me a, a package of a, a microphone, a mouse keyboard and uh, this mouse pad that is more like a flying carpet uh, it's it's so huge like literally bigger than my table and also a headphone Dude. so which is really really nice and i, I kind of needed an upgrade of mouse and keyboard and everything else anyway so it was like it's perfect uh, and uh, it's been i've been testing it for like a few days now this week uh, i still need to build a little bit of the settings of the microphone but it's it's great it's also Every single one of these things has a RGB programmable as well, <laughs> which is Ooh. not something I'm super into myself. But then, chat was uh, on my stream saying that we need a channel pointer redemption to change the microphone color. <laughs> I love it. Resubs change the microphone color. Bits change mm. the microphone color. It's it's currently pink because uh, people wanted it pink. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> yeah, naturally. Um, my keyboard and mouse have RGB, but I literally turned it off because I just don't like RGB. And that was like going into my face and I was just like, no, I don't want this extra lighting. I, I don't I mind it when you have like a adjustable, like if you can turn it off and then if you can uh, like uh, make it really dimmer, but still have a little bit of light, uh, it's quite quite okay. But like the, they have yeah. like those like a blinking or changing to different lights and so on. It's like, oh no. The entirety of like my desk like setup is non RGB. My mouse has a LED in it, but it's only blue, and it has two settings, which is on and off. So I have it set to off. Um, but my computer, like everything inside of it, has RGB because mm-hmm. like I just bought a new graphics card, and it's covered in LEDs. My motherboard is covered in LEDs. Me, so. One of my 
five one of my four ram sticks has leds on it and it and like so my computer is just like this pulsating light show meanwhile like my desk is just like pitch darkness <laughs> at all times yeah i have also like a ram that's uh, rgb but my box is like solid uh, black so you can't even ever yeah. see it on, on, unless you look like, like from the back and there's like a little bit of a hole still you see it. like oh yeah there's rgb there and i only bought it because it was cheaper and not because it had the rgb <laughs> Yeah, there's a few fans in my computer that have RGB, and that's it. And I'm just there, like, I hate these fans. Like, it's a couple of them on the front of my case, and then my CPU fan. And I'm just like... You might be able to disable some of them. Yeah. Yeah. If you go the BIOS. Um, so there was, like, a program I could use to do it. But the thing is, is, like, every time I turned my computer on, I had to redo it. And I was just, I'm not there for that. I'm too lazy for that. So I just, it's rainbow. And you know what? I don't care enough to mess with it, you know? Yeah, it's really annoying. I'll just deal with it. It's it's literally by my feet, whatever. I mean, as long as it's not, like, keeping you awake at night, like, who cares? Rude. Like, they're, they're not really using any power. Yeah, no, Subo used to bring his computer to the bedroom whenever we went to bed because he liked having a show on. Now he just uses his phone, but when we were first living here, he did that, right? And it took a long time for me to, like, get him to have, to change his RGB settings every time because it just would keep me up. And I was just like, it's too bright, dude. Yeah. This blinking light. (laughs) When I got this new PC as well, there's a, a really bright, like, a blue light in the front that shows, like, the power is on. So wife, mm. wife uh, was uh, annoyed by that when I was sleeping. And the PC is like in another room, but you can see the light, blue light, like this is like a weird alien invasion in the other room. So wife, wife yeah. took this like black uh, tape and just taped the, the light uh, away. <laughs> blue yeah. light is the worst. Like, I feel like other colors aren't that bad, but when it's blue, it just like goes straight through your eyelids, I swear. Mm-hmm. And so many devices have like that massive blue light. I, I've I, I bought these LED light strips off of Amazon during the pandemic because I think everybody did. And I I basically don't use lights in my apartment anymore. I just have these two Amaz- these two light strips and I just have them set to like this really dim beige color at all times. And it's just kind of lovely. Yeah, that so, like, nice. I, I never use the lights in here. It sounds cool. The one cool thing about this whole RGB thing was that because uh, they're all from the same uh, company, um, and they have their own uh, like software, so you can uh, sync up all of them, all the devices. So you have like this, uh, like a maximum wave of lights going through all your devices on the table. That's huh. cool. Yeah, there's definitely like a, a, a sense of aesthetic and fashion to that. I don't know. I, I guess I come from an era of just like the only accept- acceptable light sources to be cool at a computer or the monitors. Yeah, pretty much. Like I, I guess I just watched Hackers too many times when I was younger. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's just like I just I I don't I don't want any RGB anywhere, but I do want forty seven monitors around yeah. me. Why? I don't know. <laughs> that would be nice. Eh? I feel I, that. I just I just need more monitors. I feel that. I really currently? want a third monitor. I have two, and I'm just constantly like a third one. Yeah, I have two as well. So nice. I have. I want more. I have two 30 inches and one 27 inch, and the 27 inch looks so f- freaking small compared to the other two. Um. And uh, then I also have some stuff that I do on my phone sometimes, which affects the stream, and uh, that's it. And then I have just, like, a keyboard and a touchpad and multiple cameras. I think you're 24 and... inches. Your monitor's 24 inches? How do you use it? So. That's miniature. Oh, no. It's tiny. So is my thing. It's, like, pretty close monitor. to me, though. Oh, well. 
Yeah, plus there's we don't person. have that much space. Yeah, we that's do my not have that well. much space, right? We barely have enough space for our monitors. I think mm-hmm. Suwa has like a 27 inch or a 30 inch, and um, his monitors barely fit. Mine fit very nicely. So you need to get yourself a proper living space. Yeah, I know. Same. I just need to make more money first, and <sighs> I, I have a space. I don't make that much, but you can get by. Yeah, but we don't want to rent. We just want to like save, 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 so that we can like buy a and house. Buy a place. Right away. Yeah. Yeah, and so like, yeah, That's we we live in like a crammed space, but like we don't fight, and honestly, we're both comfortable. We don't care that much. Like, sure, there's inconveniences, but any place you live is gonna have inconveniences. You can find something wrong no matter where you are. Mm. You know, you totally. can live in, like, the nicest mansion ever, and you're still going to have things you don't like about it. That's just the You would have space for 14 monitors, though. True. True. But you'd have a like, lot of space to clean. And let me tell you, having only, you know, 24 feet of trailer to clean is so nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I live in a pretty small apartment, and there are times where I'm just like, yeah, I'll vacuum next week. Yeah. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> no, I sweep like once a month at most. <laughs> oh no! Like if I were to do that, there would be a carpet of my own hair on the floor. Yeah, I mean, same here. It's like we a don't, wild west. We don't talk about my hair being everywhere. Okay. It, like long hair life means like yeah, no vacuuming has to happen mm. every three days, or this carpet gains a carpet on top of the carpet. Yeah, long hair is like having a cat. So oh the, yeah, the hair will be everywhere. Yeah, it's just it, it, it's kind of funny because like people like every now and again like somebody in my extended family will be like at least you don't have to clean up dog hair mm. and I'll be like I mean I'm almost as bad and it's not even because <laughs> like I'm losing hair either like this yeah, is the normal amount of hair shed it. that people do yeah. I have like a full you know whenever hair. I brush my hair my uh, hair brush is like has a solid layer mm-hmm. right because I brush my hair just before I shower you know every other day and I look at it and I'm just like. Am I losing my hair? Is my hair thinning out? But no, you just lose a lot of hair as a human, and we just don't think or talk about it. Yeah. So. Uh, considering how much you lose, it's uh, weird that it keeps so long still. <laughs> it's like, how did yeah, you grow this fast? I don't know how it works. It's like, is it just like racing to catch up, or is that just like the normal <laughs> way of things? I don't know hair. how hair works. Hair's weird. Yeah. But at least surprisingly, it's still kept growing for like um, 20 years. Uh, so I guess it's not all going away. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I think that uh, with, with the obligatory uh, kind of body talk out of the way, um, I think it's time that we go to a real quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about video games. Because that's a thing people care about, I think. So we, we will be right back after this short message. Hello everybody, I'm FG, FG Squared over on Twitch.tv. I play a wide variety of games Mondays through Fridays starting at 9am BST, which is 4am Eastern, 1am Pacific, 10am Central European Time. So come on over and check me out. See you soon. And we're back with episode 42 of the Meaning of the Universe Halcyon Frequency podcast uh, for November 6th, 2022. I'm still blind, and I'm with Bell and Aaron Sui, and we're here to talk about the games that we've been playing this week. So you know what, Sui, it's been a minute. I want you to tell me about your obsession with Project Zomboid. <laughs> Dude, okay, so 
Halcyon used to do stuff with Project Zomboid ages ago, and I never joined because I didn't own the game, and I just didn't want to just fork up the money and buy it, right? Because you missed out. I'm cheap. I was a full-time student at the time. I didn't really have the money, right? And then someone in my chat decided to gift me the game, and I decided I'd try it out. And, um... So it's been like over a hundred hours of gameplay now. <laughs> so, uh, how, how you liking it? How, how, how are you? Because like back when we did when we did the Project Zomboid bits, it was very much just kind of it, it was all, we always did them with viewers servers, right? So for me, it was just like me and five viewers would just like get into a, like a car and then just go raid corner stores until we all die and get bored and then to go do something else. Um, but like, how, how's your been? How's your time been with it? I've been having a great time, like, learning all the mechanics to the game and learning how to get good at the combat because the combat is weird and understanding, you know, the way that the AI works with the zombies is interesting, you know. You make noise, they go to that noise, and if you can get away from that noise before, like, they see you, then they just go to that noise, which is really interesting because when I was first playing, I was just like, oh, God, they're all going to come to me, you know. Um... And learning how to kill a bunch of them has been really fun. You know, it's just, there's so much to the game. And it's all really difficult. It's a hard game. And it's just been a really good time, honestly. Um, though, I will admit, I do rage quit on occasion. <laughs> um, like, my most recent stream, which by the time this podcast does up, won't be my most recent stream. But the stream I did on, we'll just call it Thursday early, early morning. Um... I did rage. Um, <laughs> I got overconfident, and a zombie kind of got got to me from my side, and then I died. So it happens. And the thing that sucks about dying is like you spend so many hours building up your skills. So dying, it it it's a bit of a slap in the face. But you know, I still keep coming back. Can't help myself. I'm just like, ooh, more. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of harder with the dying, the skill thing, if you want to do like uh, anything long-term uh, and any of the more difficult to make things. Yeah. Uh, it's like, well, I just lost uh, all of my hours and hours of progress to a small scratch. Yeah, I did just find a uh, mod to like help make that less horrible, especially as I'm a new player. Like, as I become more confident in my abilities, I'm going to like make that mod not as good. So basically, you can uh, write down all of your skills and then uh, you can read it after you die and get those skills back. But you have the ability to choose what percentage you get back. So I started with 90% and I think I'm down to 75 right now. And I'm just going to keep lowering it because, you know, eventually the goal is not to need it anymore. Uh, and not to use it anymore. But for the time being, I'm still using it because uh, I still die like... Hmm. A, a single character typically lasts, like, I don't know, 15 hours for me. That's pretty good. Yeah, but you don't even you don't even get any of your skills to max. I have not yet gone a single skill to max yet. Yeah, but you you don't want to. Like the the Why thing not? that I about pro, the thing about Project Zomboid, and this is like the thing that's always pushed me away, is the further into the game you get, the less interesting it gets. Like it it gets to a point where, like, you can just walk like. It gets to a point where you can, like, by yourself take out a horde of zombies, more or less, with, like, proper precision and, like, 
strafing and just smart like unit placement of your own character's body and it's just my, my, my main issue with project zomboid is it's like well the late game is just like how do you avoid the zombies as much as possible how do i build constructions that are impenetrable by zombies how do i make an impenetrable base and then it's just you go out there trivial you you shoot a whole bunch of zombies it, it's more it becomes a matter of keeping them away from your stuff and less of a matter of like actually surviving like for me the the most fun bits of project zomboid are right at the beginning of a world for like the first like before water gets shut off when you have no skills your character's a smoker and you're just like tripping over your yourself because you have absolutely no ability to survive properly you're breaking windows and like throwing yourself over hedge mazes and such and that that is the portion of the game for me that's like really fun but once you kind of get to that point where you you have a couple points and it's like combat a couple points in building like you've fortified a couple houses it's just it just kind of starts the combat sort of starts to become trivial and the like actual survival side of it just stops being as engaging at least for me and that's where you delve into mods and you know you like make the game more interesting in that way but it's like for, for me like having all of the skills wasn't the fun bit about project zomboid the fun bit was getting to the point where i had the skills that's fair um for me like so now that I have so many hours in the game, I'm starting to get to the point where I can kind of do that level of combat very early on. You know, I can take out a whole horde pretty easily on my own, pretty quickly. Um, but it's super satisfying. That's why I want to skill up. I want to skill up so I can one-shot zombies, so I can take out a huge horde really fast, so I can do it without my character getting exerted. You know, so I can, you know, build some really cool thing with carpentry. So I can hotwire cars and have any car I want. Does that make sense? So it's more about, I still probably will die even with my skills all the way up. Because I'm going to be stupid, you know, raid a place with a ton of zombies in it and die to a horde because I made a misstep. You know, it does happen in the game, and that's kind of the fun of it, is trying to do these, like, ridiculously hard things all on your own without, like, any help. And, you know, if you get overconfident, you know, I play with multi-hit on, which basically means you can hit multiple zombies at once. You can hit three. Um, what happened most recently is I already had three selected, and there was one on, like, my far right, and I didn't hit it, and it was too close, and it got me and it grabbed me and then you know there's an entire horde i'm fighting so they all grab me and there's no getting out once more than like two zombies grab you yeah yeah i it, it's it's one hell of a game and i i think it's kind of come along in a long in a lot of really cool ways and it makes me just kind of sit here and go silly so um have you uh ever heard of a game called cataclysm dark days ahead i'm not what what if Project Zomboid? But oh, that CDDA. Yeah. That's what what if Project Zomboid, but every single mechanic was ten times as deep and it was turn based? Yeah, I've heard about it. I just I'm not a huge turn based person. So. But then you could take your time and chit chat with chat and like just kind of okay, hang out I, between scary okay. events. My problem with turn based games is I don't have the patience to wait for the turn, so I just go through it really fast and so then I die the and I'm faster. just like, yeah, but then I die because I made stupid decisions. <laughs> Then hit the button at medium speed. Yeah, but then I get impatient. <laughs> it's 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 literally based on the same rule set, but anyway, I digress. I was mostly just doing that as a jokey aside. Yeah, no, but like it is the ultimate endgame. 
Yeah, I've heard CDDA is actually what inspired Zomboid is what my chat was well, telling me. So they, they both they both come from the same tabletop rule set, Cataclysm. Okay. It's it's sort of like D and D and Pathfinder are both based on same similar rule sets, right? Ah, oh, okay, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Or or sort of like how like uh, the the uh, actually it, it would a better example would be like the Pathfinder RPG and then Baldur's Gate are both based on you know similar base rule sets at a point, right? Using five E, yeah. Yeah. So like it that's that that that's kind of the uh, I guess connective tissue there, but. I, I don't know. I, I don't really expect you to ever get into CDDA, but it is, uh, it, it is that, but bet, minus the multiplayer. But that, and that's honestly actually the the reason I I do prefer and like Project Zomboid is the multiplayer because for me the the best part of Project Zomboid is everybody sucks, nobody has good skills, but everybody's good at one skill, so you're forced to work together. I, yeah. I, I really enjoy that aspect of multiplayer Project Zomboid, where it's just like, yeah, you're you're the car guy. You 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 can do some wood building stuff. You're the you can get food. Uh, you can cook. Okay, we'll leave you at the house. You come with me because I need you to heart, hijack a car. Like that's that that's the thing I really enjoy about Project Zomboid is working together with some friends, doing a little zombie scene for survival scenario. Yeah. It also but, has like okay okay the workshop for Project Zomboid is pretty dang big. Like it's not quite room world big from what I can find. But there's so much stuff you can do with mods, just saying. Yeah, it's a very moddable toy. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of moddable toys and RimWorld Big, RimWorld did drop a new DLC recently, and Bellinger's been playing some of it. We heard some of it from uh, Drongo last week, but I'm curious, Bell, what's what's your experience with returning to the RimWorld been like? It's been it's been great. I haven't played in ages. Like I probably played last time when I had the previous DLC dropped a, a little bit and then I, I didn't replay that much as either so it's basically been kind of two DLCs for me I guess in that sense uh, well, I, I think the newest DLC is probably the best out of the ones they've put out so far I mean I, I guess that have what that's what you would like also that the, every DLC is better as they learn to make the game better I guess <laughs> but it, I, I think yeah. it's really really great like it's had so, so much more fun things with the xenotypes and all kinds of weird uh, Things you can have running around the place. Like first thing I made uh, when I saw the xenotype thing, and you can make like custom ones uh, for your world. So I made a Finnish metal header xenotype. Uh, so that is just a long, uh, long-haired, blonde, uh, pale guys who hate the sun, who are artistically great, running around in my forest uh, in Dream World. <laughs> and I kind of wanted to do like a whole, like selection of different, uh, all kinds of weirdos, uh, and just to replace all the default ones. Uh, just have a like super weird uh, planet, and I like immediately had like fifteen different run ideas. Like I want to do a toxic uh, run where everyone is immune to toxic and live in this like massive wasteland and go raiding from there and all kinds of things. So, but yeah, I, I think it's like the best so far what they've done for sure. I've heard only glowing reviews of it, so. Yeah, I'm excited to check it out later, but I've been so obsessed with Zomboid, I'm honestly probably not going to be checking it out until after the hot potato. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, like, you got to be focusing on vanilla stuff anyway, right? And it's not like it's going anywhere. No. And it's only going to be better the more you wait. Like, I, I do like the, how the mods will be works very well with the ideology the stuff as well, like the previous DLC, even though they don't like directly have mm -hmm. mechanics that work together. 
but like just uh, making like a nice ideology that works then well with your xenotypes and so on uh, just combines quite well like it actually makes fun like stories like dwarf orders as well it's like a story generator so i, I think this is a good setup mm-hmm. for uh, interesting stories for your runs and how to how to do things uh yeah, over the years, I've always been very critical about like RimWorld and its storytelling capabilities because, like, as games that pitch themselves as story generators, like that's a really, really, really high bar, and it's really, really difficult to actually like achieve that. I think there's several games that have. I know Kenshi is one that I, I see people citing as a like a uh, player narrative story generator, um, but uh, it it seems like this is like the first real step in that direction out of si- outside of just kind of the manufactured stories that the game has always had. Which I think is, is is really cool, and as as somebody who respects the game from a distance but doesn't play it, like it's it's nice to see it like moving in that direction. I just I think it's a shame that that kind of capability is locked behind thirty dollars. Yeah, it's always like that with the DLC, but you kind of have to have them as like a separate uh, package, yeah. and it really cannot interact with the other packages. Then uh, it gets really bad with like a Sims, for example, and any any of the Paradox games and so on. When you start to have like a yeah, when you have like 15 plus DLCs and everything has to be like this self-contained thing and they can never really build up over yeah. on each other and it would be much better if some of those mechanics were actually in the base game so you could actually build up a even better mechanics on top of that but it, it can't happen because you can't have a DLC for DLC and DLC for DLC DLC. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I don't think I don't think Rimworld's quite at like the paradox point yet, where it's too expensive to buy the whole thing outright. Like, it is getting expensive, but like it is, it, it's still like feasible. Especially like, uh, I mean, I'm sure there's certain places in the world where it's like, yeah, no, after transfer fees, this this game is like months rent. Um, but like, I it it does feel like as they've been adding at least at, up until this point, it's it's still feasible for most people to buy the whole game but once there's two or three more dlcs out for it I, it's gonna be in the paradox problem situation where it's like why am i spending 300 dollars on a video game what yeah but the issue is as well as like the people do need to be paid for their work and they wouldn't be able to add this content without monetizing it so it's kind of this like tricky thing to balance because you got to make sure that people are getting paid for their work and you know it is a studio so you got to make sure every person you know is getting their wages and if you don't i I will just like pipe this up as an example um kit fox games's boyfriend dungeon uh was had a planned paid dlc that was supposed to come out after launch and uh it it was supposed to be a 15 dollar dlc which almost matched the price of the game and, uh, you know, their Kickstarter was successful. The game launched, it came out, it oversold what they were expecting, uh, like two times what they were expecting, um, which is like roughly like uh, over a hundred thousand sales, but not like crazy successful or anything. Um, and, uh, because of that success, they actually gave their DLC away for free and they're in a, they're not a small studio. There's, there's, there's like eight of them. They're not a tiny studio, but they're not the biggest studio. And they're based out of Montreal. Uh, Canada, which is not a cheap city to develop games in. So, on one hand, Sui, I completely agree with you. But on the other hand, RimWorld sold millions of copies, um, and the DLCs sold millions of copies. So, yes and no. It it, it 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 depends on how much your salary is to a point. And I don't want to like directly just like be mean to RimWorld on like with this this argument. But in the case of runaway successes like RimWorld, yes, that's true. But remember. Terraria is still $10 and hasn't charged for a DLC yet. 
and to me this is more in the Terraria situation where that game that game is constantly in the top 15 20 highest selling games on Steam they're not suffering for cash <laughs> no that makes sense that makes total sense it also depends how you uh deal with your like your older DLCs and base game and so on like a lot of a uh, lot of them put them on massive sales so. and I, I think in some of the cases like paradox games for example when they start to have like how many is on you for now and I, I would think uh some of those oldest DLCs, when they go to like 90% sale already, like every other week, why not just roll them into the base game? Because that, that lowers yeah, the barrier like, of entry for the new players, and then you just don't need to buy all of those DLCs to get in the game. And then you can still keep charging for the newest DLC as you go, and just keep like rolling the oldest. Uh, when you put a new DLC out, put the oldest into the base game, or something like that, huh? Yeah, like an example actually is E or uh, not Eve Elite, uh, Elite Dangerous, um, which you know that's a game that has a lot of very legitimate criticisms thrown at it all the time, and like that game's got a lot of problems, and it but it is it is also a really cool thing for what it is. When they put out Elite Dangerous Odyssey, the most recent DLC, which adds uh, feet and lets you walk around, which is a forty five dollar DLC, mind you, um, which as of time of recording still has mostly negative reviews. Um, but when they released that DLC, they actually wrapped the previous expansions. It, into the base game so instead of the base game plus expansions costing it was like a hundred bucks not on sale the base game's just 40 bucks and then they added another 40 dollars dlc on top so like not that they sh- not not in that not that they should um necessarily uh, uh you know do that uh, i think the game is still at a point where it's fair but like and like the dlc is kind of piecemeal enough where that's not an issue but i could see that becoming an issue in the future you no know, game that uh i've seen you play or i've heard that you've been playing and uh i've gotten press emails about and i haven't really looked into much into too much blind is uh the first men the first men um so the first men is a <sighs> boy where do I start? Uh, the no. First Man is a game that I think a lot of people are going to play for a short period of time and not actually figure out why it's cool. But at the same time, and so they'll not be happy with it. But at the same time, it's a really cool game that's also very, 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 very early access. And I think that that's kind of hurting it to the point where like, I actually kind of wish that they waited longer, even though this is a game yeah. that's been in development for a really long time. Um, it's currently sitting at mostly positive reviews and it was mixed and I understand why. Um, so the first men is a 4X RTS RPG colony building strategy game. God game. That's a lot. Yeah. It's an auto playing town builder where your characters have total autonomy, even more autonomy than something like Dwarf Fortress where you're setting roles and jobs. They go about their day and they just do things in front of you and almost like a, uh, I think Kiri compared it to Cookie Clicker the last time this game came up on this podcast, um, which isn't incorrect, but they as they see things in their environment, they gain points in one of several different skill trees which is basically just like their mind palace right and as they gain these points you can spend those points on different perks and the perks are different colors and as they grow points in these different colored perks based on which section of the skill tree they're earning xp on they will prioritize more of that thing 
So essentially, it's like imagine you're playing RimWorld with like your job priorities, except the job priorities are their skills based on the items they've been walking past a lot. So you're Aww. essentially automating a town based on what they like to do, which is really interesting mm. and a really weird town building puzzle. And then as they unlock these skills, they will get certain one-off passions, which can be used to construct buildings. So you get to place where the buildings are, and then if they have enough passion for that thing, they will continue to do that thing. You can queue up items at certain buildings and whatnot, and then they will take those items and go out into the wilderness and do other stuff. So, so then so there's another layer to game. it. Then there, yes, there's very big brain game. There's another <laughs> layer to it where you can select the people and then almost play Don't Starve. What? So you you can select the people and recruit them into a squad. Then you gain full control of them and they walk around in almost like a little uh, CRPG fashion where they walk around in squads and they will like auto attack when they get near to enemies and whatnot. Um, they have their own combat stats too and combat passions are a thing for certain types of weapons. And then you can go out and do little dungeon crawling things where they will eventually get thirsty and hungry and you have to feed them and they have to rest and you can camp while your town is still automated on the other side of the map. And you'll go on these little dungeon raids where you go through these dungeons and you fight various gnolls and other critters um, or alternatively uh, do quests for groups, like one group. So you'll go to a group and they'll be like, oh no, the gnolls stole my baby. And then you take your group of four people and you run over to the, where the gnolls are. And so you slaughter all the gnolls without asking them any questions. And then you like free the baby from a cage and you bring it back to the, to the mom. Um, and like there's multiple factions and they interact differently and certain passions that your characters can get can generate gifts and you can gift the gifts to the factions and that ups their rep with you and then you can make friends with them and then the factions attack each other and there's weird like world boss dragon things that fly over it's a it's a lot man <laughs> uh yeah i and feel very little brain right now not gonna lie I, I guess the question is 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 it fun and i don't know but it's very interesting fair so that's TFM, the first men. Any questions? Uh, I saw Cringer played a little bit, and it looked quite interesting, but also something about it was like, I'm not sure. <laughs> like, very so, overwhelmed. Like, a lot of I it is, like, say. really, really artistically interesting, yeah. right? Like, it's got the kind of, like, like, that almost adult swim, like, aggressively ugly, but also super hyper-detailed and very colorful aesthetic. And then some menus will just be like, oh, this is, like, almost a default-looking menu with, like, no stylization mm -hmm. on it whatsoever. What? Mm -hmm. So, like, there, there's parts of it that just feel very unfinished, if that's yeah. what you mean. It feels like it's kind of the case of a bit too early access uh, that some games do. Needs a little more time. But it's been in development for five yeah, years, and yeah, obviously it's, it's all under the still... hood stuff, but... Uh, there is also like some it's same thing on, on some of the demos as well. It's like you should, uh, if you're doing a demo or early access, it should be like a as solid uh, and as good representation of your core gameplay as possible, and just cut everything extra. Because if you leave a bad impression on demo or early access, people are like, eh, it's not that great, and then they're not going to come back. But if you if you have even like a just five minutes of gameplay that's super solid, they're going to be like, this is awesome. I'll be back. Yeah, I, I'm kind of on the ladder right now. It's like, this is really cool, but, you know, I, l let's talk about the, the content that's in the game right now. There's a tutorial map and then just random scenario. Um, and then there's a set of campaign missions 
Um, cause there's supposedly supposed to be like a story-based campaign in this thing. Uh, and one of them is available and it's like, okay, so there's not really a ton there currently. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, for me, I just, I hope it sells well enough that they'd keep developing it because I'd like to see more of it. Um, also on the topic of like, like pricing and whatnot, uh, it's $32 and 51 cents in Canada, which is maybe the weirdest price I've seen for a game in a minute. <laughs> But like, yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's a really neat thing. I just, I, I worry that it's weird enough that I don't know if it'll catch on, I guess. I don't know. It's like my biggest pet peeve, though, when pe people like put games out in early access when it's way too early. Because you kind of just ruin all the hype for your game. Yeah, and if you had any to begin with. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know. I feel like a lot of games do better when they just go out in full release, you know? Um, like, didn't Potionomics do full release right away? Yeah, that was just a 1.0 release. Yeah, and, like, it's done really well, you know? Like, I don't know. It just bothers me because it's, like, there's so much potential here, but it just it flops because, you know, they just did it too early. And, like, I get that you need funds, but you should not do that at the cost of, like, ruining a bunch of people's impression of a really cool game. Totally. Yeah. But, yeah, that's TFM The First Men. I, I have about three hours in it. I, I think I'll, I'll probably return to it at some point, but I'm very much in the camp of, like, this This needs a, another couple months. Kind of like uh, Clan Folk when that released, which, again, it needs a couple. But i probably give it another okay. six months and try it again. I feel like Clan Folk was at an okay point for early access. It was at an release, okay though. point, but it was it was a little fiddly in a lot of ways. It just kind of felt bad to me. So yeah, and it did feel pretty low on content. I'm not gonna lie. Mm. Like in interesting systems, and I, I want I want to see more of it. But uh, I mean, it sold well enough, and they're developing it. So I, I mean, like uh, I'm trying to think of other examples of this, but I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Oh, uh, King Under the Mountain is another one where it's like, yeah, this needs another yeah. year. I have a really bad but, tendency of um, just a trying that kind of games for once uh, for like an hour or or a stream and then it's like forget and it's like oh it's full release now <laughs> like a couple of years later yeah and yeah i i kind of feel that i i i I'm, i think i'm generally a little bit better about that just because I'm, I'm not I, I i return to games on a regular basis like i, I keep a rotation mm -hmm. and like all of those games are in my rotation they're just kind of like in the sun's orbit except i'm pluto currently with yeah, a lot of them i, I play a lot bigger selection so it's mm -hmm. easier to forget like one of these 15 I played this week. Yeah, no, totally. See, for me, I go hard on one game and then I never touch it again. So when if when I decide to go hard on it, it just isn't complete. It just kind of ruins it for me. Hear that, Internet? When Sui goes hard on it, she's going to not touch it again later. You're the worst anyway, one. Uh... <laughs> you are the worst. <laughs> This is what I'm here for. This is why they pay me the big bucks. Bellinar, do you want to talk to us about Rogue Genesia? Yeah, sure. Genesia? Gen so it's it's not the Rogue, but it's a Rogue Genesia. And it's um, another one of the Vampire Survivor style games. Uh, but it looks pretty. They're, they're kind of using the same uh, kind of funky art style with like pixel graphic, but then uh, having like a very detailed shadows and effects uh, on top of that. Kind of what the... Uh, the Octopath Traveler did with the uh, Square Enix, although not as polished. I mean, this is a small indie company, not a massive uh, 
Globala, uh, whatever. Uh, but yeah, it's it looks pretty. It's kind of jarring a little bit first though, until you're gonna get used to it. Though. Um, and it has basically two modes. It has the like the standard survival mode, which is kind of the secondary mode for this. So like a vampire survivor, you should survive as long as you uh, can. And I, th I think it's actually thirty minutes, like in vampire survivors. But they actually have a like a it's a called a rogues rogues mode. I think it's called kind of like rogues uh, survival. And they they take the mechanic from like uh, Slay the Spire or similar games where you have the, like a branching uh, map uh, that you can choose which way to go, like which encounter you want to take or a treasure or whatever. And then uh, each level is like a short uh, vampire survivors kind of deal. You need to kill X amount of monsters or kill an elite mob or survive a certain time. And it's, it's just generally really well well done, kind of another game in that genre. Really interesting weapons and some of the mechanics are really interesting as well, how they're done. And they also let you get like Vampire Server gives you six weapons and six uh, accessories in most cases. Uh, uh, this one you just have like a 20, 30 different ones uh, in your backpack. Oh wow, so they just kind of yeah. keep stacking. Yeah, and there's a lot of, uh, they also do a lot of uh, like in, in like Vampire Servers, every everything is basically just a buff. You get just more damage or what, more whatever. Most of the, like very few things actually give you negative things, but this uh, has like a um, something might give you like a lot more damage, but reduce your attack speed massively. So you're gonna have to pick and choose that way as well. You can just uh, slam this and slam this and do that, and everything is just better all the time. But you can get some pretty ridiculous stuff things uh, happening with that. Uh, I had one builder where I'm, I just went maximum survival because the first things I picked up was uh, thorns as a weapon. So when enemies touch me, they take damage. So then I was like, well, let's just build like survivability as much as possible, and then I was, like, unkillable for 30 minutes. <laughs> I just stood there, and everything died touching me. But it, it, it's, it's very similar in a lot of ways. It uh, has the same, like, weapon evolutions, and so on and so on. One of the similarities that this game has to, like, the subgenre is it's very cheap, yeah. so is this just, like, if you like these things, yeah, buy it? Absolutely. Kind of like, yeah, situation? Like I was streaming it. Uh, I, okay. I got it gifted to me by a, a viewer. Who really liked it, um, and then uh, I tried it a little bit on. I did a secret Discord stream, played a like an hour of it, and then I was like, I'm gonna play this next uh, next day on, on my stream as well. And a lot of people picked it up immediately because it's it's like what what two fifty euros uh, or something yeah. like that. Uh, very very cheap. Like Three thirty nine. And CAD. it's totally like same as like Vampire Survivors. It's so worth the money if you like that kind of thing. So. I, the thing that like. I, I, so I, I love watching trends in games, right? Like, I'm just fascinated with this industry, and it's really neat kind of... Like, I, I'm not a big fan of Vampire Survivors publicly so, um, specifically, for various reasons, most... But, like, I, I didn't actually find that game to be particularly fun mechanically. I found that one to be particularly frustrating. I like the, the versions of these games that are a little bit more tactile, that have a little bit more player agency in what's actually happening, aside from just positioning. And for me, the... Like there, there's two things that I think are really, really interesting about these games. One, they're extremely accessible to disabled people, so so people that have like any kind of limited movement or um like uh what what what's the word like um uh, any any kind of physical disabilities that prevent you from using complex controls. Like these games are very accessible to generally, with the exception of things like Twenty Minutes Till Dawn, where they require you to aim. Yeah, obviously. this one actually has an option um, to aim as well, but, but the, you can turn it into auto aim as well if you need to. Mm. But but the other like kind of trend that I think is really neat about these games is that you know they're all really cheap, right? And there's a lot of them now. And what's kind of happening is like the like uh, it'll get to a certain point, and then the, everybody will go buy another one, and then everybody will go buy a different one. Like there's like 
I don't know, like 500,000 people that will just play the crap out of one of these games for a week and then just get bored of it and then go buy another one. And I think like all of these devs that are just putting their game out are just kind of sitting there gambling going, are we going to be the hot shit next week? It's it's been kind of fun to watch. I don't know because like like I'm gonna talk about one of these games in a moment, um, which is Bone Razor Minions. And he it, for for that dev, it's like it was a side project that he was like, oh, I could make one of those and made one of those in like a week and then just like put it up for like three bucks and then like a hundred thousand people bought it. And he's like, well, I guess I'll develop this for six months and then I'll go back to my main project. Yeah. I mean, they they do seem a lot fairly easy just, to develop. It's kind of funny. Uh, like I I think I could make one in a weekend as well if I really wanted to. But you you just have to have like a good basic same concept uh, and then throw a little twist in there yeah. of your own and yeah I'm, I'm, i'll happily buy every single one of those as well and try them like i, I also tried a, so, so, a so, potato which is basically mm. kind of same genre as well and it has its own twist as well yeah so, same viewer have gifted that as well <laughs> and i'll happily play that as well Rotator, like, right? they're all just really great uh, like they're super chill small games I, I've been playing one specifically while things have been rendering and uploading, um, which is Bone Razor Minions, um, which is by a developer who I've been following who's made several like run-based uh, platformers um, over the years and uh, is working on a traditional roguelike, which I've been paying attention to, um, called Dead Zoned, uh, which is like this very psychedelic-looking... Um, like traditional roguelike, but he's, he, he took a break and started developing a game called Bone Razor Minions. It's again, it's it's a vampire survivors concept, but there's kind of a fun quirk to it where you're a necromancer in a graveyard, and the map isn't infinite. You're on a graveyard, and you have a dodge button, but almost no methods of attacking. At least initially, eventually, like you start to get perks where like you can like throw out knives similar to vampire survivors, but all of your abilities come from summoned zombies and hordes of zombies. So you're just like running around, just like spamming summoned zombie or like, uh, like, uh, trying to kite the bad guys into your zombies so that they get eaten by your zombies. And then you have to like kite back around to get through their stuff again. Um, and all your upgrades go to like, make your dash better and like make, make your like one use spells better and stuff. And then pretty quickly you're just, you just have like eight different zombies that are like throwing poop at people and you're just like dodging underneath them it's also got like a very like goofy sense of humor because like the, the zombies are bones and so you're casting boners to summon the boners and that like these bone pokers show up and they they just have spears and they're stabbing stuff uh but like it's also like weirdly deep because then you get outside of and you get into the meta progression stuff and it's like oh okay so you can upgrade your you can upgrade your necromancer okay you can upgrade your zombies okay but you can also upgrade the enemies so that they give you more money faster um and it then there's also like a card game element where you every couple of runs or if you get far enough and get enough points you unlock you get a card and then that goes into a burn card deck and then you play a mini game against the ai and if you win, you can get a bonus, a one-time bonus for the next run, like double money or like extra experience or uh, like various other perks for the next run. Or like you start with a bunch of zombies and like so there's like a weird like meta layer to it that just, I don't know, it, it's fun. I, I've just been playing it muted and minimized most of the time, but it's it's like, it. It, it's a weird subgenre that Vampire Survivors has caused to happen. Like we've got like a resurgence in flash games. Yeah, it's almost. really cool. And Bone Racer sounds very People interesting. People suddenly are okay with paying for them again. As well. It's overwhelmingly a positive so. review as well, surprisingly. Yeah, no, I, 
it's great. Like it, it's it's goofy and fun. I mean, like it's 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 a little slightly more expensive out over these things. Yeah, but man, like, I'm selling like four you know, euros. Also so buying it's not it that expensive either. Yeah, it's like a whole euro more. But like it's 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 also uh, supporting Anthony Case, who's uh you know working on some pretty cool games as well, which never really did super well. I mean, like, like if, if you just look at like the review counts versus Bone Razor, it's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> like certainly you, uh, you, you've definitely done better with this than some of your other projects, which is, I think a bit of a shame because the other projects are way more interesting, but also, you know. It's also good if it's a uh, funds like the other projects. Uh, it's really cool. Absolutely. You might, might as well dip there for a bit, bit uh, to fund uh, all the other fancy things. So, um, so, since we've been rambling about uh, surviving vampires, uh, Suey, do you want to talk to us about making soup? Soup? Excuse soup. me? Yeah. No. No. I, I am not making soup except for IRL. I, it, it's potions. Okay. I see you're on so the soup train. tell us about train. these soupy potions. No, they're, 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 they're standard potions. And potions are not standard soup. potionomics. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Um, my chat has a bit of a meme going on where uh, everyone's insisting that potions are soup, which makes no sense at all. Because potions are not a soup. Anyway, potionomics. I've been I checked it out uh, like yesterday for the first time, and I know I'm really late to the hype turn on it, right? But I am having a great time with it, honestly. It's so cute. All the characters are, like, super expressive. And then, like, the gameplay is really fun because it's card... It is a card game, but... I don't know. They they do a good job of not making it just a card game because you also have to, like, brew your potions and make sure that, you know, you're selling the right things. But then you also need to use the potions for stuff sometimes. So you can't always sell them. And, yeah, it's, it's a good time. Well, I, you know, you, you did say you kind of missed the hype train, so I, it's it's been talked about a good number of times on the stream, but uh, yeah. uh, or not on the stream, on the pod over the past few weeks. Um, so I, I guess the question is like, do do you recommend it? You, you enjoying it? Yeah, I do recommend it. I and like apparently you can uh, romance a bunch of characters, but I haven't really found a character that I necessarily want to romance. But like, I don't know. There's here we go. Like the second character you meet is called Mint. And I'm kind of thinking about romancing her because she's super cute and like really is enthusiastic. She mint? <clears throat> huh? Have you never heard that term before? Is she the carpenter? Oh, like mint condition. Person? But like, I don't know. Maybe like I've heard that there's like eight people you can romance, and I've only met a couple of them. So I want to know what the other ones are too. Uh, sifting out through the options. I mean, Bellinger. I played the demo, yeah, <laughs> and I think I met a few more people than you have uh, so far. Okay, yeah, I've I got like four hours in. I've went through the first competition and then I ended. Yeah, I was, so sounds like a video game. Yeah, I was watching FG play quite a lot. I don't know, though, and it looks uh, really, really amazing. I played the demo, and I really want to play it as well myself. I just haven't had time yet. Then. No, it's it's been a good time so far. I'll just say that much. <laughs> well, um, since that's been a good time, I'm going to talk about something that's definitely not a good time. <laughs> um, 
so Halloween happened, which is a great time. Um, but I wanted to play some horror games. So I played a horror game off stream. And uh, the game that I picked up and played through is uh, Endoparasitic. Uh, Endopar uh, Endoparasitic is a game made by a YouTuber, actually, who uh, the YouTube comments when I uploaded a video of this uh, informed me of very quickly. And also there is a prequel to this, which is a first-person shooter, which doesn't have very good reviews. Um, but uh, called Rot Flesh, which I've actually heard of before, which is a, a game where you shoot organs off of things and then rip organs out of dead enemies and equip their organs to upgrade your flesh. It's, it's a thing. Um, anyway, this game, Endoparasitic, is a top-down survival horror game where you play as a character who, at the very beginning of the game, gets both legs and one arm ripped off. You cauterize the wounds... And that's the rest of the game. You're a dude with one hand, and you crawl around on the ground. Which, I would recommend looking this game up on Steam and just looking at the visuals of it, because it'll give you a good idea while I talk about it. Um, the, 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 the thing about Endoparasitic is it's entirely mouse-controlled, right? So, um, left-click basically lets you click and drag yourself around. Right-click lets you open your inventory, and mouse wheel lets you scroll around in your inventory and things. But you can only do one thing at a time because you only have one hand. So say you want to shoot your pistol, right? You have to reach down onto your character's belt and grab the pistol. Then you can't move. You can only shoot. Then you can shoot a couple bullets. Say you don't have any bullets. You have to right-click to pop up the pistol and then pull each bullet out manually one at a time while not being able to move and then reload the pistol from your secondary inventory, which is in another screen. Then you have to put the inventory down and shoot things. Um, the whole kind of shtick of the game is it's like this weird sci-fi world where uh, you're in a uh, base that was experimenting on alien life, um, uh, that is on the moon, I think, and pretty far away from the main base, and you're infected with it. It's in your back, and it's crawling up your back, and if it gets to your brain, it wins. So as you're crawling through the world, you'll find syringes, and in your inventory, there is a screen where you can see this bug, and like it's slowly moving up towards your brain, and every now and again, you'll have to give yourself injections with this syringe to like block it from getting to your brain and killing you. Um, or fully taking over, mutating you into whatever the other things are in the in the base, and it's it's pretty simple puzzle work, you know. Like it's it's go over here, flip this switch so you can grab an item, walk like crawl over to the other side of the thing, uh, put the item into the thing, flip another switch, and then go out the door. It's it's that kind of stuff. It's very it's pretty simple like puzzles, and then just like unlocking safes and uh, arranging wires and stuff. But it's just in this almost getting over it with Bennett Foddy mold of just like crap i need to like pull my body around the edge of this table i need to pull out a gun and shoot this zombie and then like throw a thing so that i can stab myself in the back with this injection and then run over here and slam this door shut so four more weird zombie monster with crab arms for some reason come through here um there's a variety of different guns that all reload differently and go in different places of your on your body uh lots of items and it's very gross the sound effects are very splatty and uh i had fun with it it's also pretty cheap it's like uh, like 10 bucks here uh so it's 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 an affordable little game and uh if you for some reason want a gruesome as heck but also approachable and kind of funny horror game like it's not super scary it's just very grim um, it give me nightmares i hate bugs so much you hate what bugs oh bug oh like the thing in your back yeah fair 
I mean, yeah, it's, it's not, well, like all of the, the enemies look kind of buggy. Oh, true. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. uh, uh-uh, no. They have kind I'm, of an I'm insect good. vibe to them. <laughs> yeah. But I enjoyed it. I, I I thought it was fun. I had a good time with it. Yeah. If if you're looking for a horror game, speaking of terrifying video games, um, Bellany, do you want to talk to us about uh, Gotham yeah, sure. Knights? It's it's kind of an interesting case uh, because uh, the reviews for uh, Gotham Knight uh, Knights were pretty terrible when when the first ones came out. Like I think it was IGN or a uh, PC Gamer or something gave them like four out of ten and five out of ten Ouch. and similar ones. Uh, and the Metacritic uh, reviews are are pretty terrible for it as well. And um, they were bashing pretty much everything about the game, uh, from from graphics to performance to combat mechanics and progression and everything. And um, then uh, Warner Bros. Games uh, sent me a copy of the game. I was like, well, I'm, I'm happy to receive the game, but uh, how is it going to be if it's uh, uh, that terrible? And I was like, well, well I'll just find out myself. And uh, to be honest, I would say uh, all of those reviews are wrong. <laughs> it's actually a pretty good game. Uh, I played the previous, like the Arkham horror games, and well, not Arkham horror, that's a totally the Arkham Knight and. Yeah, that's, that's a, a very, very different, different thing. thing. Uh, but I, I played the previous Batman games, basically. And uh, those were uh, highly liked. Uh, and I don't know why the new one is not uh, highly liked, because it's basically the same. Combat is exactly the same. Instead of a block, you have a dodge. And then it's the same punch, punch, dodge, punch, punch, dodge. Same uh, against one guy, and the other guys wait next to you, more or less. And uh, it's still a Batman. If you, if you like Batman stuff... Uh, it's still great. Although Batman is dead in this one, so maybe that's the negative thing. Eh, yeah, screw Batman. I mean, I, I, to be honest, I don't really... I'm not a huge fan of Batman myself or any of the superhero stuff, uh, usually. And uh, the fact that Batman is dead in this one is actually the one that makes me makes me much more interesting for me. <laughs> uh, and you, you play as um, basically the companion. So you have Batgirl, you have a Robin, you have a Nightwing, and Red Hood. So basically Batgirl, Robin, Robin, and Robin. Um, because all of those three have been Robins uh, at some point. Uh, and you can play with all of them, uh, uh, basically. You can switch at any point. Uh, uh, and they each have, like, the, the main story is the same, but you can switch which one you use. Uh, and the dialogue and things uh, differ a little bit, which uh, character is, uh, like, interacting with, the, like, Harley Quinns and uh, Mr. Freeze and so on. And then each of the characters uh, also have, like, small side uh, story bits uh, for uh, each of them. And uh, those are written and voice acted and acted like really, really well. Like, I would say that's like nine out of ten, or even like more often than that. Uh, and it's kind of shame that the gameplay, it, gameplay is maybe like six out of ten. It's, it's not that great, but it never was in like it's. It's basically like what you expect from like Assassin's Creed or uh, any of the other Batman games or similar ones where you just sneak around, uh, punch, punch, and do that that over and over and over. It is quite grindy and all of that. Uh, so it's not that great, but it's not also so bad it's unplayable like it's not four out of ten and uh, I'm, I'm really into the story like I, i've been really loving to listen to the story uh like harley quinn's character for example is really well written and acted like, i've been really enjoying that and then there was like parts like where they were like combat is too easy and it's not very interesting or anything and i i wonder if they actually played the game long enough like it, it starts pretty slow and very easy but once you get to like the each like Harley Quinn has like a like a whole story arc of missions you do, and then like a Mr. Freeze has a story arc you do, and Clayman and so on. And the end of, end of those, you have basically a end boss, so basically the character that you're fighting, and those fights are not easy. Uh, like 
difficulty spikes massively on those, and they're like really long fights, like easy, like can be like ten minutes of fighting, <laughs> and they're actually really fun as well. Like it's it's not just a stupid difficulty; it's like fun difficulty. And uh, I, I don't know where all of this uh, negativity came came for it. Uh, I mean, th it does perform quite bad, which they patched uh, and made it a little better, but still should be running better, to be honest. Uh, and, and and things like that. I I think for me. This is maybe a bit of a, a combination of fandom and also just like death by a thousand cuts. Like everything I've kind of heard about this game is like, it seems to be like, oh, it's another one of those to a fault. Like also they, they, like even just little things like, you know, I, I was watching you and you, you were noting the driving being like painfully slow, right? Yeah, um, that is pretty terrible. And e e even if like it's not actually that slow if it feels slow and that something doesn't feel good then it sticks right and if something is a large portion of the game and it sucks then that's gonna mm -hmm. hurt it right and i've all i've also i was listening to um a different podcast where they were talking about this game because i haven't played it personally and they, and they were saying that um uh things like you'll be like jumping from building to building using like yeah, your hookshot and then like randomly it randomly it won't hook shock to the building in front of you and it'll actually like catch a building yeah, behind you and launch you backwards and honestly I, I think that this is just a combination of yeah they made the same game with different playable characters and that's fine but having same problems from previous game plus some new problems and poor performance just kind of equals why did you make this and not the game that we wanted more which would probably be more Batman um, and I've also heard some weird things about the multiplayer not working and considering it's kind of sold as a multiplayer game to a degree or a co-op game, um, that's going to hurt it. So I, th I think this is honestly just a death by a thousand cuts situation. Like if, like if you're sitting down and this is your first ever Batman game and you have people to play it with, you're probably going to have a yeah, great time. I imagine so. I, I didn't try the multiplayer or anything, but you can play on a co-op, which is kind of interesting. There is like even abilities that are like a help if you have a, someone with you. And people were saying that they were probably thinking going to make this into a totally different kind of game originally, like more like a live service type of game, um, because of how the loot system works and upgrading and things like that. They, they really remind uh, of a system like that that it would be in a, that kind of game. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Would love to know what they were actually originally going for and where did it change and why. And there's definitely other things like uh, the whole motorcycle is really weird uh, because it feels bad, but you also replace that in like a couple hours. And you can also just jump from building to building. And then you get like a colliding and you get uh, like this fast travel thing where you have this weird bat collider that flies you through the city. And then you just uh, use the colliding ability. So you never really use the motorcycle after like first hour of the game. <laughs> But, you know, like, we're talking about poor reception, yeah. right? And what's Steam's refund window? Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah. Two hours, <laughs> right? So, like, if 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 you if you only use something for, like, the first hour, maybe hour and a half of the game, then, well, that's your Steam review, re review window uh, to refund the game. Um, and, of course, that, that's not going to count for, like, critical reviews, but certainly, like, if the first hour sucks, then that's going to show. And... Like again, it's uh, as I said, it's a death by a thousand cuts. You say you've played all of the Batman games, and you're like, "Oh my god, a new Batman game with new characters!" And then the combat's exactly the same as previous Batman games, except you don't get to play yeah. as Batman. Like Maybe that's that's just not going to sit well yeah. with people. It also like um, the combat gets better once you uh, get further in the game and you get a little more difficult in and interesting enemies, and then you also get abilities yourself. Uh, so it's not just a punch, punch, dodge, punch, punch, dodge. You get a few other things in there in the middle as well. 
It's also gotcha. interesting. I've been just a because it's reviewed so badly at launcher. Uh, I've been kind of keeping an eye on it, and I've, I've noticed that the the Steam reviews have been slowly getting better and better. Like they started pretty low as well, and then yeah. they start when people played it a little longer, they started going up and up. Uh, to like a, it's seventy two percent now, which I, I think is pretty uh, fine number for it. Like seven out of ten is what I pro- probably score the game as well. Like it's if you get it cheap, it's it's fun. If you want some Batman punch punch for some hours, but uh, I probably wouldn't buy it at full full price myself. I have a question. Did you ever play Avalanche's Studio Avalanche Studios Mad Max? No, I didn't. I, I kind of wanted so it. So Mad Max, it's it's I would say play it. It's a lot of fun. Um, but when that game first released, it was kind of critically panned, especially by critics. Like not some, not so much by Steam. Like I remember the reviews being like mostly positive initially, and then pretty quickly they it skyrocketed up to very positive. And then when they dropped the price down to thirty bucks, it actually went to overwhelmingly positive for a little bit. Um, it, it is when it came out. I remember it getting criticized for poor, poor performance because it didn't run super well, and it was criticized for it being ba- essentially just an Assassin's Creed game. Like, the the, the 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 melee combat is basically just one-button combos. Um, maybe two buttons if you're lucky once you get the more advanced weapons, but it's generally just one-button combos. And the car combat is kind of simple. Like, it's very much just you go up alongside and your car auto-targets to a thing and then you shoot out cables and and stuff explodes and then eventually you have a guy who can throw spears off the back of your car. Uh, it's, it's pretty simple car combat, but it's fun, right? And it's very pretty looking and it's got a lot of cool particle effects and stuff and stuff explodes in very satisfying ways. And I remember that game coming out and getting critically panned. Like it, it had like, it was like a 60% on Metacritic at one point. And it's like their criticisms was it's an Assassin's Creed game, which is very true. It is an Assassin's Creed game. It is an Ubisoft open world game, even though it's not made by Ubisoft, it's published by Warner Brothers, <laughs> and and it's made by yeah. Avalanche Studios. But it is it is that exact same structure. You go to a big site, you go to the top of it, you expose a bunch of the map, you go to all the different points of interest on in that area, you collect all the collectibles, then you move to the next zone, and that's how the game works. And uh, it was criticized for uninteresting combat in that, but it's a very very solid one of those, and that almost kind of strikes me as what this kind of situation is, where like yeah, at full price initially at launch, and it's it's kind of like a crappier version of things that already exist which is totally fair in a lot of ways but if it stands on its own and it's unique enough maybe the co-op makes it unique maybe the characters that you can play as makes it unique once this thing gets a couple sales i think it'll get a community behind it and people will play it like that's it's just that kind of game and i think warner brothers yeah, realized it's interesting that. mad max is now what 20 euros uh, which is much more a palatable price yeah it's also a game yeah, from 2015 yeah, it's also uh, like a reviews it's, it's are been now a, it's been around recent reviews 93 percent positive and all reviews 91 percent so mm-hmm. it's Reviewing really well now as yeah. well. I, I, it was a full price release game at launch, and I, I think it was like within three reviews they dropped it down mm-hmm. to fifty bucks, and then by by twenty twenty it, it was it's been thirty in Canada and it's basically yeah. stayed there since. I think also a lot, of, a lot of the negativity comes from the usual DRM people downloading, and it's probably also oh, sure. yeah. reason for some of the performance issues. Uh. Well, I mean. Mad Max still yeah. has Denuvo anti-tamper on it. <laughs> they actually uh, patched uh, with the first uh, big patch they did for the Gotham Knights. Uh, they did a lot of like performance uh, upgrades and so on, and they uh, accidentally yeah. patched out the uh, Denuvo DRM, and then like quickly repatched it in. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> Which obviously made people well, salty because like yes, no more DRM. And it's like well, no, it's back. <laughs> 
that's 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 very amusing. Uh, but you know what? You don't need to patch uh, Denuvo out of is is this podcast. So I think I'm going to take us to a real quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the news that's been happening this week. So uh, uh, hold on to your butts, and we'll be right back right after this. Hi there, podcast listeners. Whoa, Jess here. If you missed me on today's episode, never fear. Stop by on Twitch instead. You can find me at twitch.tv slash woe underscore Jess, Monday through Thursday at 10 a.m. Mountain Time. Please enjoy the rest of this episode, and thank you for listening. And we're back with the Halcyon Frequency Podcast. We're in the last segment. We're talking about news. The news that's been happening in the world in the past few weeks and this week. And, uh, Bellinaire, uh, you, you're going to take this first one, so uh, talk to us about Steam regional pricing. So, yeah, this was uh, that popped uh, in my feed, sir. Uh... And I didn't see it really being talked about in a lot of places that much. Um, so Steam posted this on uh, October 25th, uh, and uh, it's uh, about the, like the new regional pricing that they recommend. Uh, so whenever you are uh, like publishing or selling a game on Steam, you're gonna uh, set the values like how much you charge wherever yourself. But Steam also has this like a recommended uh, because it's not like all of us know what's the uh, exchange rate for something like a Peruvian sol to dollar. So it's much easier to have this like a, if your game costs $60, it's about this much recommended for this uh, country or this uh, currency. And uh, some of these uh, currencies have been uh, very old uh, and not really dated, like uh, updated. Uh, so this is the new one they're uh, doing. Uh, and uh, a lot of games are getting uh, a lot more expensive if they're using the recommended prices uh, uh, coming forward. Uh, for example, uh, Europe uh, is supposed to Get about 20-25% increase in game prices uh, compared to like the older new recommended uh, like uh, all the uh, mm-hmm. 59.99 USD um, recommended was 49.99 and the new is uh, uh, 58.99 so basically same as the USD although not all of these are rec- uh, like these are recommended so they don't fully represent the reality that's been already happening like a lot of the like 60 dollar games have been 60 euros in europe already so they're basically more expensive than the recommended uh, price already Uh, so (laughs) technically we should be paying one euro less now if it goes with the recommended but uh, some other countries are like uh, massively increasing their prices like uh, turkey and argentina are 450% or 480% increase. They've been like extremely cheaper. But I also saw part of that is also because uh, people were uh, using uh, like VPNs and ways to go around uh, and uh, buying games uh, from those regions. So a lot of, uh, especially in like indie developers, uh, wondering like, why do I suddenly have like a million uh, subs, like uh, people buying games uh, from uh, Argentina? And it's like a massively cheaper buying there. One mm. one that I've been seeing a lot is this is uh, concerning people in Brazil because the uh, Brazil is getting a fifty two percent increase, um, and that's a sizable portion of my audience. And uh, especially with the release of Dwarf Fortress coming out, there's some people that I've been, I've been saying it's like, yeah, this will be like the cost of Dwarf Fortress will be like yeah, half a lot of these are very steep increases, especially on like a. Um, like the countries that have much lower income, like we we can definitely like Europeans can afford. Even though that's gonna that price increase is gonna hurt in Europe, we can afford it mostly. Except maybe like uh, Eastern Europeans might have some uh, struggling 
which probably is a seven. Canada's getting an eight percent mm-hmm. increase, which again, like I can afford that, but yeah. ouch, that's gonna suck. It's definitely gonna be, especially in like this time of the what's happening around the world. Like everyone has less uh, income and less uh, spare money to put into games, and suddenly games are also more expensive. So it's gonna be interesting to see how that affects uh, basically everything. Yeah, uh, I'll say this: like I, I, I don't have like much to really input on this, but. I guess it's just kind of a awareness thing and uh, making sure that other people can discuss it. Like if you're in a region that's heavily affected by this, it's uh, I would say yeah. take a look and there's also discuss. like interesting ones like uh, Norwe- Norwegians are getting sixty three percent increase, but uh, that's for a sixty euro uh, sixty dollar game basically, and uh, they previously only paid a uh, uh, four hundred uh, whatever kroner. Which is basically forty euros. So they've gotten games really cheap, uh, even though they are a quite high co- income country. Like and again, and uh, now now they're basically that inc- that in- increase is basically bringing it to sixty uh, USDs. You play they pay also the same sixty again instead of forty. So there's uh, some countries or some regions where uh, it's also been kind of wonky for the cheaper way, even though it really probably shouldn't be. Like they've gotten a lot cheaper games, like. Comparing like Norve- Norway and uh, Finland uh, is pretty same, uh, like in- income wise. Uh, but we pay 20 euros more for the games for some reason. And now that's basically bringing it kind of on the same level. So there's, there's that kind of thing in this as well that kind of brings them on the same level. But then some, some of the, especially the poorer countries, are going to hurt very, very much with this. Speaking of uh, money not being sufficient, uh, Sui, do you want to <laughs> read this next headline for me? Yeah, so according to Square Enix, um, the Japanese market is no longer sufficient enough to recoup the investment, and they're now focusing on the global market. So uh, I'm just going to, like, the main reason we're covering this particular article, like, this isn't a super dense article, this is a, a write-up on my Nintendo News, Um I'm just going to read this quote from Square Enix's president because I think this leads into the next story we're going to talk about quite well, which is achieving major growth in the game industry is difficult now for companies that compete primarily in the Japanese market. Giving its graying demographics as such as it is critical for our business that we produce uh, hit titles that speak to a global market, which offers greater scale in terms of both customers and sales volumes. In order, in in other words, uh, the Japanese market is no longer sufficient for the for achieving a level of earnings that enables us to recoup our development uh, investment costs and generate a profit. Uh, and we therefore need to approach our development efforts based on the assumption that we have to succeed in the global market, which I guess is good for people who like Square Enix titles yeah. to a degree. <laughs> And some of them um, have been really successful, uh, like outside of Japan. Final Fantasy, mm-hmm. yeah, no, certainly. for example. Oh yeah, I mean, I personally am a bit of a Square Enix mm, fan I've for the most well. part. I mean, of course, I'm. Yeah, it's like there's some titles that don't interest me, but I, there's some really good titles coming out of their uh, company. I think it's just it's a it's a strange move because Square Enix is a company that's baffled and perplexed me. You know, like they sold off a bunch of stuff to Embracer recently, um, including a lot of very legendary and popular titles in the West, and now they're turning around and just also saying, by the way, we we like 
we need to focus on the West. It's like, hold on a second, like, well, why, mm. why, why couldn't you have just made like a remaster of the original Deus Ex? Yeah. Then, like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't they sell off like Tomb Raider as well? And they sold Tomb Raider, Deus Ex, uh, a long list. It was like basically every single old PC IP from like Looking yeah. Glass Studios and stuff. Like they sold off Thief. <laughs> like uh, they basically the only Western studio they have any hand in is they're still publishing Avalanche titles. If I remember correct, they also yeah, sold supposedly. those for uh, like absolutely nothing. Yeah, it was like it was three hundred and fifty yeah. million. That they sold three studios and like a bucket load of IP for, and they sold. Yeah, you would think person. those IPs would be a lot more oh, worth it. Which, which led to a lot of very funny like comments on Twitter from like people like New Blood saying they sold the Deus Ex for how much? <laughs> yeah, I, I think a lot of people would have, um, like a lot of companies would have, like, this cheap, I'll buy it. <laughs> No kidding. It's like it's like I saw so many tweets that were like, "Who? Did, why didn't you guys tell me that Deus Ex was on sale? I would have crowdfunded that. What the hell?" Um, yeah. But like, yeah, no. So it's it's a it's a strange strange take because the the next article that we have here that comes right after this one is um, also a Square Enix title. Uh, so Square Enix's Sim. Biogenesis isn't the Parasite Eve revival anyone was hoping for. This uh, headline taken from uh, Michael uh, Witwer, I think is how you say that name, um, on uh, Polygon here. And um, I'm just going to read this first chunk of this article for you because it'll give you a pretty good idea. Fans of Square Enix's Parasite Eve felt a twinge of hope last month when the publisher registered a trademark for the term Symbiogenesis with multiple reports noted, meaning it's merging, uh, noted, meaning the merging of two organisms to form a single new organism. These report, those reports also attempted to connect that definition to the Parasite Eve games and their inspiration, fueling speculation that Square Enix was returning to the action RPG series after more than a decade. But on Thursday, Square Enix fully ex- extinguished all of those hopes by announcing it is a, as a Web3 uh, con- at a Web3 concave in, in conclave in India that Symbiogenesis is actually the game publisher's first collectible art project uh, designed from the ground up for Web3 fans. Uh, described cynically as a brand new entertainment content uh, yeah. Uh, Symbiogenesis promises collectible digital art paired with interactive story and a dedicated uh, and a dedicated community. In air quotes, um, it is unclear how Square Enix could guarantee the latter, but it seems unimportant to the intended audience. Yeah, this is definitely not something that's going to capture the global audience that they need uh, to fund their things. Uh, yeah, right. I mean, if, if the new organism is NFTs, just kill it with fire. It's not worth surviving. Yeah, I I'm just this is so like out of touch to a point where it's actually kind of funny. I mean, obviously there is an audience for this, like the the web3 crazies mm-hmm. like exist and though there are people within those circles that certainly want to continue purchasing those things and shoving yeah, money into them, them money but like around, I don't yeah, there's still money in that market. Like, there's money to be made if if you hit that market. But like, there was a there was a good article bouncing around a couple of weeks ago that was basically stating like, "Hey, be happy, gamers. We won. Basically, just we've shut the number of NFT games that have largely shut down or alternatively launched non NFT versions to keep their companies afloat is kind of astounding. So I. I 
I, I'm kind of 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 the mind right now that like any game that just pops up that like, by the way, we're Web three or any project by game to publisher, unless it's just an art project, which somehow those still do well. Any game related thing at the very least seems to just be like, yeah, screw it, we don't want it, and. I think that we might be winning on that front. Of course, there are a few that are successful. They're printing buttloads of money somehow. But, like, largely, I, I, I do think that, like, the, the the opportunity has kind of come and gone for NFTs in games largely at this point because of protests from people just refusing to interact. Yeah. It seems also like it's, like, a totally, like, kind of like VR is also. Like, it's, like, a totally separate thing. Like, normal gamers don't really do VR. And normal games are not going to do NFTs. Yeah. So it's kind of weird trying to take over the, that part and not just a focused kind of as its own own thing. Like that is definitely going to be... The thing though is all you need to do... Sorry, go on. All you need to do is rebrand them, don't call them NFTs and just be quiet about it and kind of coy and then suddenly like Reddit, boom, 90% of people on Reddit have NFTs. That's not totally true. But like a large portion of people on Reddit suddenly now have NFT profile pictures. They were just quiet about it. I didn't call them NFTs. So, like, if EA Games just, like, crammed NFTs into FIFA, I don't think people would blink too much. Yeah, I mean, they could have marketed this as, like, a collectible art uh, game something without all the NFT vocabulary there. And then people would yeah. go, oh, that might be interesting. <laughs> but when you throw out all of that other stuff in, there, it's like, uh, instant, like, a no-no reaction, reaction to that whole thing. Yeah. Uh, it, the, the branding of NFT and Web3 is so far down the dumpster at this point. You say that and people just shut brain mm. off and walk away going, eh. Yeah, every time email or like a sponsorship thing or something like that says, says those words, I'm like instantly like, delete. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I just, I don't like, I don't like everything being monetized and this just makes everything monetized and that just bothers me. Like, it's just, it's, it's, it doesn't matter if, to me, it almost doesn't matter if they're NFTs or not, because like, honestly, the it's burning the planet down thing is kind of overblown to a degree. Um, Bitcoin is, uh, most NFTs aren't, especially like, you know, the, like the Reddit ones that I was just mentioning. It's like they're, they're on Polygon, which is lit not the website that the, the blockchain, but they're on Polygon, which is literally like, it, it's non-consequential. It's all proof of stake. It's like, it's, it's no worse than credit card transactions. Like it's, it's very much a clean, like modern tech but like for me it's just it's the principle it's the same reason i don't take part in the steam marketplace on the back end of steam because i don't care <laughs> and, like, and that's that's just exactly the same about how i feel about like these collectible art pieces it's like even if you put it on a clean blockchain even if you make it affordable and available even if they're available in copious amounts even if people have them and they actually have use in things i yeah. don't care i mean that's my biggest problem with the whole thing is that the it doesn't really bring anything extra to this. Like I haven't, I've not seen anything like, wow, this technology is giving us the ability to do this thing. Because like the whole card collectible thing, it's just a database that has existed since of <laughs> computers have been thing. Like it, it's no different than any normal way of uh, storing things. It's like the technology doesn't bring anything extra value to the product. Uh, The only thing that NFTs do is it gives the original creator of the thing a cut of the sales whenever player transactions mm. happen. And that's not a positive no. thing for the player. But this is already a, a closed environment of uh, one publisher's... Like it's, it's not like you're getting a small artist adding NFTs into this game or anything. It's all controlled by Square. So why does it have to have that kind of thing because it's already controlling it anyways 
They just want their own board mm. ape yacht club. They want the Parasite Eve thirst cult. <laughs> I, I don't know. Anyway, um, moving on. Uh, Sui, do you want to read this next headline? Yes. So, embrace... Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh. That was me copying it. Okay, I just got really confused. I'm sorry. Don't don't mind. Yeah. Uh, Embracer has shut down Onuma, which was formerly Square Enix Montreal. So, so uh, the 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 plot thickens because you know we we have um, the Square Enix selling off a bunch of studios. Then one of the studios that Square Enix sold to Embracer, Embracer then turns around and shuts down. So Montreal-based studio, um, formerly known as Square Enix Montreal, um, now uh, known as on- Onoma, Onoma um, which they announced their new name three weeks ago, which is why I'd never seen the name of it before. Um, they canceled the game, and uh, it's shut down. And uh, some of the staff is moving to IDOS Montreal. Um, and they... And IDOS is uh, working on a Fable game for Xbox. Um, so I, I just want to say, like, you know, we've been talking a lot about Embracer acquisitions. And, you know, everybody's been tentatively positive kind of nonstop about Embracer acquisitions. Um, because largely, things seem to be kind of status quo. This is an example of a studio that, that was purchased not a very long period of time ago. That's now just done, gone dead, splat. Yeah, and so it's interesting as well, because uh, the Square Enix Montreal is the one who- Behind like Deus Ex stuff and uh, some of the Tomb Raider stuff and quite a big name game, sir. Yeah, oh. it's a quite a major studio that has put out quite a bit, regardless of how yeah. it's been received. They have recently only done like a kind of mobile Hitman Go, mm-hmm. Lara Croft Go, Deus Ex Go. I like those games, though. I play all of Space Invaders game. I guess that's cancelled. <laughs> yep. Also, Avatar Generation. Is that the Avatar the movie? That's that's the s- most recent yeah. Avatar game, yeah. Uh, that's it's... coming out soon. Mm, Blue People Avatar yeah. or Airbender 1? Blue People Avatar, yes. Mm-hmm. Culturally relevant Avatar, not nerd <laughs> stuff Avatar. I mean, it's very relevant <laughs> since the new movie is coming out uh, soon. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I want to go see it and see how this. Uh... I'd rather see Mario. Oh, yes. When is that's? But that's next year. Yeah, that's April. That that, that I will definitely. I'm yeah. gonna book like a holiday and go watch it there. <laughs> I'm just gonna eat edibles <laughs> and then sit in the audience and go Mushroom Kingdom. Here we come, <laughs> and I can't wait. Um, Suey, talk to me about the hot potato. Yeah, the hot potato is gonna happen in november i don't have the dates up like i should hold on it will take me two seconds there we go um it is november 23rd to 28th um and people are starting to announce that they're in it so yeah it's super exciting um we got a lot of cool things lined up i'm really really excited for this year for, for the uninitiated, give me like a one sentence pitch on yes, the hot potato. Sorry, thank you, thank you. Um, the hot potato, this is the Rimworld hot potato, or as we are now calling it, the Halcyon Frequency Rimworld hot potato. It is basically where we have 
um, a large group of streamers, you like this year is 35 of us, and it is being passed between each player. We call it a marathon relay event, which basically means you start off on 2D Kiri's stream. She has announced her turn, um, and you will end on my stream. So you just walk, tune into Kiri on Wednesday, November 23rd at 10 a.m. And next thing you know, 10 a.m. on Monday, November 28th, if you've kept that tab open the whole time, you will find yourself at my stream where I will be ending the event. And, you know, there's a, there's a teeny tiny chance of a really cool interview, just saying, during my turn. It's not 100% yet. We don't have it, like, 100% confirmed. But there is a chance of a really cool interview, just saying. So it'll be worth it to check it out. I think, um, and we're raising money for Doctors Without Borders, which is a humanitarian, um, charity, and they help out with medical stuff throughout the entire world, you know, whenever there's a need, they're there, um, with, like, they're there for a lot of disaster relief, they're there for, you know, when COVID was really being intense, they were there helping out in different places for that, they're just helping out people for so many things and you know you get to help out by donating and all of us get to help out by well Halcyon is you know putting the event together and then there's 35 of us raising money so let's hope to make this a good year and it's also worth noting that in a couple weeks, uh, the week of the event, I think on the 20th specifically, uh, there will be an episode going out in this podcast feed where me and Sui got to speak with uh, your contact at uh, uh, MSF yes. about MSF and about video games a little bit and raising money for charities. So uh, hopefully you'll all enjoy that when that pops up in the feed here in this podcast feed. Uh, but, um, you know, this is this has been a podcast, I think, a podcast of all time. And uh, I think now is kind of the opportunity for us to kind of wind down a little bit. So, uh, Bellinaire, who are you and where can people find you on I the internet? I'm the Finnish potato of the team. And you can find me, I guess, up here in the north. But you can also find me on twitch.tv slash Bellinaire. I guess uh, since the schedule is changing again, uh, because things are happening, uh, I'm going to be there every day. European evening time still. I drop usually more or less. And you can also find me on YouTube. Uh, uh, what's the new handles? It's Bellanar TV, I guess, on YouTube. Just yeah, at Bellanar TV. At Those Bellanar are so TV, weird still. Yeah. And I need to also do one yeah. for the miniature thing. But you can also go to my Twitter and find all of my links there. So that's easier. Go go there, Twitch or uh, Twitter and find that links there. Or ask, him, ask me. <laughs> Suey, who are you and where can people find you on the internet? Hi, I'm Suey. Um, I recently graduated university. I'm currently Congrats. job searching. I want to be a uh, game producer. Um, I play a lot of Project Zomboid at the moment, but I'm usually a variety streamer. Um, people can find me. I'm Suey on Twitch. I have at Suey on YouTube, and then I have at Suey Streams both on YouTube and Twitch. That's my, like, YouTube stream archive. Um, and also, I just want to say, on November 12th, I'm going to be doing my four years of streaming anniversary, which I'm super excited for, which will also be pairing with a Stream Reader Skinathon. It's going to be my first one because I just got my second skin out, and it's super cute, and I'm really excited. Um, and that's going to be starting at 5 p.m. Pacific, and it's going to run until I end my stream. So, yeah. I just got to say, I don't ever want to hear the term skinathon again. 
But it sounds like a Halloween event. Huh? <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs> it sounds and like something that would happen in the yeah. movie Halloween. Mm, in the um, in the four-year stream anniversary. The I... marathon of flesh. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. I'm probably going to be opening up a Project Zomboid uh, community server for my community since the uh, streamer server being open to the community has kind of died down at this point. Okay. Cool. Well, um, I, I, I think that uh, it, it's worth noting that if you like this podcast, you can find more episodes of it at, at halxianfrequency.com. If you like my voice, you can find me at BlindIRL on almost all platforms where I play too much Dwarf Fortress. And uh, if you want to get more episodes of this podcast, uh, you can find it almost anywhere organic podcasts are harvested. And if you wish to have this podcast appear in a place where you like to listen to podcasts, at me on Twitter or on Discord or send me a DM and I will make it appear there. If you want to help this podcast out directly, leave us a review on iTunes uh, because it is very difficult to get reviews on iTunes and that's the main way that podcasts get promoted. And if you want to, um, you know... Uh, talk to us about this podcast you can join the halcyon frequency discord server where we got rooms to discuss the pod and uh, lastly um i just want to say a real quick thank you to peter pole and paul mile for the fantastic tunes you hear in and out uh i won't be here next week because i'll be in las vegas and uh, this has been an excellent episode of this podcast so thank you very much for listening till next week we'll be live on sundays don't change that dial this is halcyon frequency signing off